Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource that's designed to ask those provocative and controversial questions about how scripture meets the politics of our world. My name is Beth Alison Glenny, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm working for the Baptist Union as our public issues enabler. Each week I'm joined by a different person from the preaching or political landscape and this week I'm very pleased to introduce Archbishop Doye Agama, and um, he's going to be on screen with us just shortly. Hello. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I've got you uh, down in my notes as a leader within the Pentecostal Holiness and Convergence movements, um, and as a presiding prelate and executive director of Apostolic Pastoral Congress. Is is that right? Do you want to tell us a bit about what that means and maybe a bit more about your context? Well, thank you very much for having me on, Beth. I, um, I founded uh, the Apostolic Pastoral Congress, um, which is a convergence movement, although we didn't know it at the time. It, it sort of brings together or attempts a rediscovery of the liturgical, sacramental, um, the uh, evangelical and charismatic sort of bringing back together the, the traditions of the church, so um, or the streams of church. Um, we have um, 10 bishops in, uh, in England and uh, 200 uh, members altogether. Those would all be leaders of uh, either churches or projects, um, for example, in prisons or um, food bank type organizations, things like that. Um, and um, I have actually um, retired as of December last year, but due to the uh, COVID uh, situation, uh, we couldn't hold um, a service to mark that. So I'm sort of, well, sitting in limbo at the moment, <laughs> um, waiting for a time when we can celebrate the fact that um, I'm finally um, getting out of the way. Um, so, um, yes, I've been uh, very involved in uh, the ecumenical movement uh, and also been on a few boards, um, Ecumenical Council for Corporate Responsibility, um, Luther King House, um, served on the Valuations Tribunal and a variety of things um, besides uh, the sort of clerical role. Um, I am from uh, an Anglican uh, background, um, though I wasn't ordained within Anglicanism. Uh, my my um, root came from Pentecostalism, strangely enough, into Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, so my first um, Episcopal ordination was by uh, a uh, old calendar Greek Orthodox bishop. Uh, Archbishop and um, and I, I I went to um, an Orthodox uh, Bible College and 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 all of that. So we 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 we're a bit of a mixed bunch. Um, my my passion, if uh, you know, uh, socially politically, is for the persecuted. Um, mm -hmm. the, you know the um, Christians, particularly uh, all persecuted persecuted, but particularly. Christians, endangered Christians around the world, um, in in Asia, in Africa, and um, in 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 places like northern Nigeria. 
Um, so that's sort of me by background. I'm, I'm an engineer. I um, trained for uh, the design and uh, deployment of telecommunication projects, particularly fiber optics. So that's that's sort of me. Uh, dad, granddad, what else? Like, you know. <laughs> and absolutely right. All of ourselves, don't we, into, um, into the pulpit. Um, I wonder, um, you've talked about the persecuted being uh, kind of a key a key justice issue for you. Um, we, we call this show Politics in the Pulpit, and, and it's got a question mark. The idea is it is asking the question. Do you, do you find that you, uh, when you preach, you feel like you're preaching politically? Um, how would you see the relationship between politics and the pulpit? Well, I, I think that um, the pulpit has always got to have politics, but politics with a small p. Mm. not sort of party politics, but um, Christians do need to be committed, particularly to local issues um, and also to global issues that um, that the gospel um, speaks to. Mm. And I have always thought that Jesus Christ was crucified for political reasons. It wasn't until the accuser said, hey, listen, this guy is a politician. And if you don't crucify him, Caesar will not be happy with you. He's out to wreck the current political structure. Then Pilate says, yeah, crucify him. So it was a kind of a political assassination. So um, politics and the pulpit they do cross over in, in many ways. He, uh, my, my good friend um, once said that you can keep patching up the people that get wounded by the lion that's out there, or at some point you're going to have to address the issues of why there's a lion in the street. Hmm. So leadership demands that at, at certain times we do have to speak to certain issues. You can't avoid it. Oh, mental oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I am. I, each week we um, you've talked about these big issues. Uh, each week I ask my my colleagues in the joint public issues team to give me a, like a summary of their wisdom um, of, of what they've been paying attention to in the news uh, that's going on. Um, and so it might be things going through government, might be things that are happening in the news, and they, they give me a little summary of just things that they want our, um, our listeners and our, our watchers to be aware of as, as they're kind of going into the pulpit, as things that might be the lions in our world at the moment. Obviously, this week um, it's elections, so it really is a very political week, and um, and and that's obviously for those who live in England. It probably how important those elections feel will depend very much on uh, where you live. But um, in Scotland and in Wales, that they have obviously got a particular importance as well because their par their parliament elections are happening. So we um, we we think and pray for 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 you who are in those areas and preaching in those areas and and who are. Um, who are voting in those areas, importantly. Um, so there's also been the ongoing conversation around uh, Boris Johnson and uh, what we might call John Lewis Gate and how much he feels he needs to live off. Um, there's a huge, obviously the, the important, really important news as well is that um, the COVID situation in India, um, a lot of our faith leaders ecumenically backed the People's Vaccine Campaign last week, um, which was about uh, fair and um, 
and, and free access to vaccines across the world. Um, and then um, there continue to be protests around the police bill. Um, uh, there's details still coming out about um, how the inter international development cuts are, um, are uh, what what actually those effects are, what that what that means, um, having made the decision. So um, there's cuts to girls' education and to combating polio and and more coming out about that, um, which is important because it's also Christian Aid Week next week. Looking ecumenically, it's uh, kind of an agency a lot of us and a charity a lot of us work through and with and alongside as we work for justice in in the kind of global world. Um, and then. Um, uh, there's also, and a bit more niche, um, there's been an amendment to the fire safety, there was um, an, an amendment to the fire safety bill which would have protected homeowners from the high costs of safety in flats with flammable cladding was voted down, so didn't pass um, last week. So there's there's all sorts of things going on um, in our kind of local news and in our big news um, across the world. It's also, um, this comes out for the Sunday um, and I think, um, you know, it, it will become Ascension Day the week after. So that, that's kind of um, Ascension Day looms in, in our for those who are who are celebrating Ascension Day. Um, so that's a summary of, of what's going on in our world, um, kind of from from the from our team and kind of what they would like you to hear about as we kind of come to um, opening up the Bible and wondering what it is to um, have our newspapers in one hand and our Bibles in the other. Um, so our readings this week in the lectionary are Acts 10, 44-48, 1 John 5, and the Gospel, which is John 15, 9-17. Archbishop, um, I know we've we've sent these to you, um, and I just wonder if there's a particular one that you thought, this is what I would be preaching on, or there's a theme here that I'd be picking out. Uh, what, what strikes you from these passages? Um, yes, uh, thank you for sending them to me. Um, in in uh... The first uh, reading from the book of Acts, um, for uh, Acts 10, 44 to 48, um, what really struck me was that uh, the uh, Holy Spirit fell on the people who heard the word. And so the question is, what word did they hear <clears throat> that brought them the Holy Spirit? And <clears throat> looking at what excuse me <clears throat> um, looking at what uh, Peter the Apostle had just said it strikes me that it wasn't just um, a conversation or just something that he said but he said very particularly the word of the gospel or what we often refer to as kerygma uh, from the Greek, originally meaning proclamation, uh, but now including the life and teaching of Christ. So he proclaimed Jesus to them. And as he did that, the Holy Spirit showed up to glorify Jesus. The second thing that struck me about that passage was the obvious difficulty that these early Christians who were all Jews were having about allowing people who were not Jews to become part of Christianity. We often forget that this was a real struggle and it has its echoes in our lives today in our attitude to the 
eternal question of us and them. Who is part of us and who is a stranger? Mm. And this is resolved in the passage by the agreement that since God has not discriminated against anyone, neither should we. And I really um, enjoyed that particular uh, point. Um, so that, that's my initial reaction to, to that first passage. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, um, the second passage um, from, uh, from uh, first, first John um, 5, uh, 1 to 6, um, again, brings us, there's this thread bet between all the, the passages, really, that if we love God, we would keep his commandments. So we're back to the word again. And this brought the thoughts to my mind of how it is words that build the relationships or the connections between people. We, we grow in relationship with the people whom we communicate with. And when a relationships break down or communities break down, it's often around communication. And um, I think it's no accident that community and communication as words have so much in common. And I've often felt that community is built out of the commonality among us. The more we have in common, the more we become community and we share in common what we communicate about. <laughs> and we love God only when we communicate with him in prayer and by hearing and reading his word. And we are unable um, to claim to love God if we don't love his word. And it's very similar in our own lives that the people who are the most precious to us are the people whose words mean the most to us. And we cannot claim to love anyone whose words are not important to us. So um, I found that link um, of the word sort of appearing there again. And, and it echoes in the gospel too from John 15, nine to 17, where Jesus tells us very plainly that we show our love for him in the way we treat his word to us. And that it is his word that will give us joy and will make us able to reflect him in our lives. So um, I guess the, the common thread for me all through was this issue of, or this aspect of the word and communication and relationship. I think that's so interesting as well with the, um, with the Acts passage, isn't it? Because Peter's really reckoning with 
what does scripture mean in the context of these new relationships? Um, you know, and, and he says, doesn't he, um, you know, it's unlawful. It is unlawful. Like he quotes it. It is unlawful yeah. for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Like he knows the rules and he's like making it clear, like I know the rules, God. Um, and God going, oh, but but I want you to go and be in this relationship. And um, and it's a really, I think it's a really interesting, I think that opens up actually perhaps so many of our conversations that we have um, in church life today is, is like, how, how do how do we hold hold what has been given in the context constantly of these, of relating to each other and to a new world and to new people? And, and where do we, um, you know, we can, we can, we can, what does that mean really what does it mean and I think um it is a challenge isn't it I um I wonder what um the equivalents would be now in kind of thinking around um the kind of similar level of social code because I think um perhaps it's really hard for us here to understand that like the the level of kind of that being unclean and and not being something you would not go there and you know Cornelius mm. is in he's he's a centurion of an occupying army he's in Caesarea it's like the most Roman you know the most Roman of all the Romans and 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 it's this man you know not any man this man is the one that that God is saying you know go here and um, and I just think yeah I, I'm trying to. Work, I'm just trying to work out what what would be. I don't know if you have an answer. I mean, who would be the equivalent? What would be the equivalent today? I I don't know. Um. Well, we are never so divided as when we are at church. I mean, you know, um, we want to be with, speak to, um, preach to, pastor people who are like us who agree with us mm. um, and who do what we say. But we are sent to all the world. And I think this is the key fact that comes out from what you've just said, that perhaps God chose this particular person because of his significance in the society, and uh, not just because he was a good and godly person. There probably were other good and godly people around. But the signal that this would send yeah, to yeah. the wider community, the fact that God loves everybody, might not prove of all that we do, but he loves us anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, Cornelius is a huge symbol to the church at that time. You brought it out so well in what you said a moment ago. And from that moment, the church is never the same again. And just think about it, where would you or I be today if this hasn't happened? There would be no church for us. But we are Gentiles. Yes, yeah. that is always a point, isn't it? Oh, I have a bit of an echo on my thing. Um, I that actually, we I think we we we're, we're always inclined to read this 
um, as we're the ones that go out <laughs> with you know we we put ourselves in the peter shoes you know what's unclean out there that we will we will go and bring you know if you're part of the holy spirit and baptizing people and that should be <laughs> maybe it's that we receive we receive the holy spirit we receive the gift of baptism actually this is the this is this is our inclusion um as people yeah i yeah that's a very important point i think thank you I am. Um, I was also struck by kind of what you were saying about um, the importance of, of relationship and the idea that the people we love most, the words with the words have, who have the words that matter the most to us earlier um, in John. And um, and I was just thinking that um, there really is this conversation, isn't there, around friendship in there? Um, and what does it mean to be friends? And um, there is Jesus, Jesus who is God. You know, Jesus who is the most power. You know, could be the most. Could, could do anything um choosing to say i i have called you friends and, and i'm gonna not be superior over you but but kind of in this relationship of friendship and um and that complete um you know there would have been such a patronage culture you know there was this kind of you know such a structure of hierarchy again i think perhaps a little bit not not present in the same way in our society today and i think um you know there's jesus saying i'm subverting this <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be your friend you know you're gonna know about me and you're gonna know about what I'm about and I, I was um, really struck by by that from what you said earlier well um, hierarchy and relationship um, are not incompatible or mutually exclusive um, I think um, uh, this is very much a Western problem in, and has been kind of exported around the world because we must remember that um, the, the Christianity that came from the Western empires was a Christianity of empire, um, and and so you know the the leadership of church became sort of um, intertwined and entangled with leadership in the empire and this is a big struggle for uh, a lot of uh, western christians how to deal with the legacy of that um the legacy of this power um that, that is so entangled into the structures of our of formal christianity uh, in the western world um in the eastern uh, Christianity and in places in Asia, Christianity has never had that kind of power. Um, com comparatively, it, it has more often been a, a religion of um, servitude um, under occup occupying powers, um, often under other religious domination. And so the um, attitude to leadership is somewhat different from that which we find historically in the West. And we need to be honest to ourselves and see that even in those parts of Western Christianity where um, we claim to have broken away from historic Christian practice, tradition, whatever um there is still the echo of this there's still it's still 
you know, sort of influences a lot of the way we think and what we do as Christians. Um, and what Jesus says here speaks very strongly and directly to that, that you can be a leader and still be a friend and a brother and a sister. It, you know, th there isn't actually a clash there. And as you've so rightly said, Beth, if he can do it, then we can at least try. <laughs> that's, a, that's such a helpful reflection. Thank you. It's um, yeah. No, you're right, and I think it's more than an echo. Actually, often in, in, <laughs> in Western Christianity, isn't it? We're um, we're either highly suspicious of leadership because we see it see it as a kind of corrupting thing, or um, or in awe of it, and they unable to kind of. Uh, feel that it can be yeah kind of a, a, a friend and I think I think you're right that's a really um yeah that's a thank you I will be thinking about that all week I think <laughs> um I I was really um also noticed in the passage of um of John um that there's there's he's, it says twice doesn't he Jesus but this is my commandment that you love one another in verse 12 and then he says again I'm giving you these commands that you may love one another and it's um I you know kind of that what we were taught in Greek about the inclusio, you know, the kind of like there's a bracketing off kind of, you know, the bit in the middle that's always the important then, isn't it? Um, but kind of this sectioning off that Jesus is doing and making this bit about friendship in the middle the most important. But I was mm. I was really, um, I just thought actually how interesting is that the language is of an inclusio, you know, these kind of brackets that it, mm. the passage is literally being held by inclusion, that at the top and at the bottom, that they kind of, that these both, both ends are kind of bookmarked by, by kind of this 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 language around love and, and and commandments and um and and being this for one another and and as I have loved you and I think um yeah just I was really I was I was thinking about how even the passage is shaped around inclusion and love and and I was um and I I just made me think about how would I try and shape a sermon actually then and is there a way of shaping a sermon in the same way that Jesus has I, mean, I think we could call this preaching to his friends. He sort of preached this to his friends and, and, and his disciples. And is there a way that we as preachers might think about actually shaping a sermon? So it's almost book, bookended by this kind of narrative of, of love and, and kind of in, and commandment. And that, yeah, I, um, I just, I thought it was fascinating that it literally is an inclusion. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting way of preaching because it, it, it's, less of the sort of declaratory pulpit um, harangue that you often get. And it's more of a conversation. He's drawing them in and he's explaining, he's imparting. Um, he's speaking with them, not to them. The, the, um, and the, the problem of preaching inclusively is still a very big one and has its um, cultural problems, whichever direction you look. Um, but I think there's a very real um, art in being able to bring, not just bring the word to people, but bringing people into that word 
um, making the preaching accessible rather than simply authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is becoming more and more a problem in our sort of egalitarian age in which we live. Um, uh, so that we do need to adapt the way that we speak to people um, as preachers. For me, I've always longed for a sermon to be more of a conversation. And we're lucky because um, in the parts of the church where I often find myself, um, church is very participatory. I mean, the whole congregation preaches the sermon sometime with you. You know, you get responses, interjections, um, and all sorts. So it's slightly easier. But even there, I do find when I try, for example, to include children who may be present, you know, by directly addressing them and in ways that they would feel included, you would sometimes get... Uh, a negative response even from the parents. It's like you are interfering into my family structure here. I dictate so you could ask a question uh, of a child and a parent will deliberately respond quickly, cutting the child off from speaking um, in, in church. And I find that very intriguing, you know, sometimes and ask myself, how do we really, you know, include people into the word that that is being shared mm -hmm. so is it really being shared or is it just being pronounced yes yeah. yes is it being shared is it being pronounced i am um, we we're in, in um, with my husband and we're having a conversation about setting up a new congregation where we live um that's designed to be primarily for unchurched people who, who've got absolutely no faith background um uh but that is genuinely intergenerational because actually we've I think we've, we're really aware that one of the things that people are quite nervous about is sending their children to a different room where they can't see them and and it sort of feels like separating off and that's yeah. not really doesn't seem to be where you know actually is that really how it should be so we, we're asking these questions about what would it really mean to create a, a church service that was genuinely intergenerational but that is doing exactly what you say actually inviting a conversation that sees the holy spirit already at work in the lives of the people um mm. just as it was with cornelius rather than kind of seeing it as kind of like we've got jesus in our pockets so we'll bring him to you <laughs> and then um, and and actually kind of what does that mean and how would we even go about that and and just really rad involves radically rethinking everything doesn't it it does i mean there's no pulpit <laughs> literally no pulpit in that conversation. Yes, yes, it, it, it's <laughs> tricky it, it is tricky, but I, I, I agree with you, and, and I long for a time when we see so much more of that. I mean, my memories as a child uh, were of being taken off to Sunday school and then occasionally having a sort of a joint family service, which wasn't really very joint or very family, to be honest. Um, you know, it was extremely boring, and you just, you know, it was the same thing, except the kids were allowed to be there. Um, and uh, I love, I mean, Jesus was attractive to children. The mothers and the kids loved this man. And obviously, 
excuse me. <coughs> he must have been very friendly, <coughs> approachable, and had a way of expressing himself to them, communicating to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, you know, queuing up to meet him. But it was his disciples who say, oh, no, 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 you know, this is not the way to do it. Don't bring the kids near the man. And I, I really think that's wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that's wrong. And we need to turn that on his head. <laughs> I know you're right. I can say too. Um, and yeah. But I how do we do that? Um, because it, in different cultural contexts, it can be tricky in in in, in some of the places where I, I, i've had congregations that were very mixed culturally and you know different things worked well or not so well so yeah. perhaps gradually god would guide us how to do it i pray so <laughs> I pray so too. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, our time is coming coming to a close, and um, and so we're gonna um have to have to finish for today. But I I think I will be the first person of many to say um I think how you speak about about the word and about Jesus is is something in tone as well as as in what you say. Again, that we just I just want to echo how um how helpful that is, and and your reflections have been deeply. Um, wise and will certainly have me thinking for the rest of the week as I go about uh, preparing and um, and think about how to preach this week. So thank you so much for, for everything you've brought to us. Um, thank you. I'm really very honoured to have you with us. Um, so we're um, uh, going to go out into our into our pulpits um, and our kind of political lives for those who are listening in from a political spectrum um, with a blessing. So um, let's pray. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.